I'll tell you a story as we begin about a man named Otto the Conqueror. As you can get by his name, he was a man who uh, ruled a territory, and he had been uh, busy conquering so much that he uh, hadn't found time to, to get a wife and, and, a, and an heir, so his advisors were worried about this. So finally, he, he had them look around and find someone. They found a, a young woman named Sophia, you know, a son of a noble woman in a little bit distant land. And they, uh, they arranged the marriage, and Otto went to this land with 500 of his best warriors for this marriage ceremony. The, Sophia's father had only asked one thing, and that was that Otto convert to Christianity, which he agreed to do. So when he got there, he, be, he got baptized. Now, when his warriors saw this, they too wanted to become baptized, convert to Christianity and get baptized <laughs> like their ruler. Um, but there's one problem. You see, in Sophia's land, in their understanding of Christianity, you cannot be a warrior, you cannot be a professional soldier and, and follow Christ. So that was a hindrance to their being baptized in their fellowship with Christ. So they began to worry, well, how can we be baptized at all? Well, finally they told the priest they were ready, and so they're going to do this mass baptism. They all went out into this, into this river, and as the priest performed this rite, and they were about to go down into the water. Each one took his sword and raised it above his head. And then they went down to the water, all except their fighting arm and their sword. Because what they were saying, of course, was, okay, we're going to follow this, this Jesus guy, except in this one area. <laughs> that one, we're going to do what we want or what, we've been, what we value the most. You know, I wonder, as I hear that story, if we're going to hold something up to be unbaptized in our life, it might be better symbolized by this remote control than a sword. Because I wonder how many of us take seriously this idea that Jesus is the Lord of all my life, including what I consume in terms of entertainment or even news. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're in this sermon series, Timeless Wisdom, because we're looking at God's Word. It's from His Spirit. It's timeless wisdom about modern life. And obviously, then, we're taking principles from God's Word and applying it in a particular way that they didn't deal with back then, but the principle is a principle, and there are many applications for this. One of the things they did not have back then, of course, was this idea of mass entertainment. So, I want us to, uh, to break this down into two parts. First of all, just ask the question, what's the problem with the entertainment culture? Um, not entertainment itself, but the way we do it in our country necessarily. And then secondly, well, how can we handle it more wisely? And there is a verse that we're going to start with here to show us our need for this. In Proverbs 14.8, we are told that the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. So I hope that you and I want to be prudent. And the word simply means wise, someone who, who lives life the way it should be, and, and one of the characteristics of that kind of person is that they give thought to what they're doing in their life, whereas the simple, who are the opposite, the folly of fools is deception. They're simply whatever happens to them, and it, and it turns out that life is very deceptive for this person. So the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. So we're going to think about this a little bit. We're going to put our minds to thinking 
along with God's principles about this gift of entertainment, because every gift can be also perverted, right? All right, so what's the problem with the entertainment culture? I'm going to say there are four things. And again, this is not to say every part of entertainment is bad. I'm just saying that the way it is in our country, there are four dangers to it. First of all, it is not needed, but it is still consumed in vast quantities. It's not needed, but it's still consumed in vast quantities. I want to show you a chart. This is from 1900 to 2020, global media consumption per week. How many hours are people consuming of media per week at different stages of the last 120 years? And, and what kind are those? So this was a study done um, some years ago. So some of this is, is projection because, again, this, this last part anyway. But I want you to notice something. 100 years ago, in 1920, people in our country were averaging around 10 to 15, maybe 20 hours of media consumption, and most of that was here in the form of print. So yes, people were reading their papers at the breakfast table or on their way to work, just like we do with our phones, but it's not quite the same thing, right? Because just of the vast quantity involved. And you'll see how this trend increases more and more, especially after the 1960s. And um, you can see the different kinds. This chart is in the app there if you want to on the sermon notes if you want to look at that more carefully. Um, my point is this. My point is, in 120 years, we have gone from less than 15 hours a week of media consumption, we've gone to over 90. Now, that is a remarkable, remarkable statistic. That is an amazing statistic when you think about the change in 100 or 120 years of that magnitude, it will not leave us as a society unaffected, and it won't leave us as, a, as people unaffected within that society. Here's another chart I want to show you. Changing media consumption. consumption, And uh, this one was more recent. And this, they're just trying to show how much people are consuming of each one. And you'll notice here, this is only a 10-year span, 2011, 2021. And they estimated on a daily usage about nine and a quarter hours were being consumed here. But today, it's closer to 12 hours, just in 10 years. One decade, it's increased 20.2%. Uh, and most of that is here in mobile. Most of that is right here in this little screen that we always have with us. Now, my point here is not that all this is bad, of course. My point is that we have a huge volume of media that we're consuming, and it's, it's not needed. I mean, people throughout history have gone along just fine and lived great, fulfilled human lives without any, most all of this stuff that we have. Um, so we've got this big block of time and influence in our life that we don't have to have. We need wisdom about this. So secondly, <clears throat> now this would not be all bad, of course, if this was all good for us, but the second thing I want to bring out here is this media, for the most part, it is designed to take your money and not build your soul. It is designed to take your money and not build your soul. The people who are putting this out, all this, all this media out, for the most part, they are not thinking, okay, we've got Steve and Robin here, we've got Gunnar, 
what can we put out that would help them become closer to God, more intellectually fit, better citizens, uh, have better mental... That's not what's on their radar screen. When they're formulating their songs and their algorithms and their programs and they're writing their scripts of the movies, that's not really on the radar screen for the most part. It's all the bottom line because this is an industry and that counts for Christian music as well. For the most part, it is an industry that is designed to maximize profits. And, uh, and the way that they do that, of course, is by getting us to watch more and more of it. There's a, a phrase that you may have heard that applies very well, and this is whether we're, we're watching something on TV or, or scrolling through Facebook or social media. If you're not paying for it, you're not the customer. You are the product being sold. If you're not paying for it, you are not the customer. You are the product being sold. And, and that's the challenge we face. So they're, they're put these out, and, and because of that, they're going to appeal to our desires indiscriminately. And if they can increase our eyeballs by, by showing us increasing amounts of sexually suggestive material, they will do it. If they can increase our eyeballs by, by creating more and more anger or fear within us, they will do it because that's the model that they have. And secondly, because of this, it tends to reinforce rather than challenge the selfishness of our culture. So every culture has their own battles with selfishness. But for the most part, media shows and, and music are self-oriented, especially the music, but also the shows. The show that kind of this fulfilled life and, and these people who have it or how to get it. Now, okay, so so far we've said it's not needed, but still consumed in vast quantities. It's designed to take your money, not build your soul. And then third, it replaces natural wonder with artificial amusements. It replaces natural wonder with artificial amusements. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, first, doing is replaced by watching. You know, 100 years ago, back in 1920 or 1900, you know what one of the big industries in our country was? It was the printing and publication of sheet music. Why? Well, because you didn't have all this that we have today. So what were you going to do on an evening? Very many people would gather as a family or neighborhoods around a piano or, or something in their living room, and they would play and they would sing together. How many of us do that anymore? I'm not sure I ever remember that. Uh, but today, you know, we don't do that because, well, we have recorded music, right? We can, we can download and stream, and, and it sounds a lot better. And most of all, I don't have to put forth any effort. I don't have to be around people that, you know, kind of annoy me sometimes. No, it's just me and this music that I'm consuming now. So instead of participating and making, I'm watching and consuming. Second, effort is replaced by ease. It is much easier to uh, watch a TV show than to write a poem. And uh, it's easier to listen to music than to make music. And, and this, of course, extends into every area. Watching media, consuming media, listening to music is easy. doesn't make it wrong, but it means that we probably have to watch and make sure that we're not giving too much to that. Third, joy is replaced by enjoyment. Enjoyment. There is a certain joy that comes when we're with people in the way that God intended. When we're doing something together, when we're serving somebody, 
There's a certain joy when we're creating something of beauty and worth. And that certain kind of joy is not there when we're simply enjoying a TV show or when we're enjoying a, a music or, or playing a game on our phone. There is a certain dopamine hit that we get when, when we do those things. That's part of why it's addictive. But it's not the same thing as this, this inner joy. It's an enjoyment. And then fourth, wonder is replaced by boredom. Wonder is replaced by boredom. I was uh, walking along um, last Monday, went for a hike, and I came upon this, this spider web that was just glistening in the sunlight. And uh, I stopped and I just took in the wonder of that. Man, God creates this little insect that out of its rear end can create this, this strong silk and they create this geometric pattern for this purpose. And wow. And I, it made me realize that I don't often wonder about that or the things of nature anymore because I'm not in nature as much. I'm more, like all the rest of us, consuming more than, than wondering and worshiping through nature or through the things of this world. Fifth, last one. Worship is replaced by self-preoccupation. In fact, some worship can become, and I didn't coin this term, worshiptainment. So it's a worship that is honoring to God in its lyrics, yes, but the design of it is to meet my need for comfort and reassurance and enjoyment. I enjoyed that worship time. You know, I enjoyed this or that. enjoyed this church. Well, I understand that. You know, sometimes it just means that it was meaningful to us, but there are, there is a tendency to replace worship with a type of worship attainment because that falls in line with the values of our culture and what we've been enculturated into. Okay, last. Last part of this first half. It's not needed. It's designed to take our money, not build our soul. It replaces natural wonder with artificial amusements. And then last, it can harm our mental and spiritual health. It can harm our mental and spiritual health. And uh, sociologists have noted the great, great increases of, of mental health disorders and anxiety and depression uh, and other things, especially among youth in our culture. And of course, the number one thing is correlated with, if you look at the timeline of that, is when cell phone use became more widely adopted among teens, smartphones. Now again, correlation doesn't equal causation, but in this case, it's pretty clear that there's something that's going on there. And that's not just true of them. The more time we spend looking at screens, usually the less mental health and spiritual health we'll have. I want to go a little bit deeper in that, though. I think it not only harms our mental and spiritual health, but our functioning really as, as humans, thinking and valuing the right things. Um, you know, in the... Uh, early half of the 20th century, two different authors penned two different books that were probably the most uh, successful and well, most read dystopias. And a dystopia, uh, if you know that word, a utopia be, describes a, this great, wonderful scenario or place. A dystopia is just the opposite. You know, It's like when everything goes wrong and it's showing a vision of the future where everything is terrible. Now, one of those was by George Orwell, a Brit, and uh, he wrote the book 1984, and if you've read that book, you remember Big Brother's watching you, and in fact, you had a, the TV screen 
was, was there, you, you would watch it, but more importantly, it would watch you. It had a camera that would watch you and monitor you every, every minute. It was a surveillance society in which the government used that to control and, and limit what people could think. And it was it's a very powerful vision. But there was another man who wrote a dystopia around the same time period, which I think has proved more accurate. Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World. And he described a world that was a little bit different. It was, it was still a place where people could not function well, but it was not because the government was coercing them, but rather because the very nature of society had trivialized them, especially through amusements and entertainments. Neil Postman, great sociologist who wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, he wrote this. Orwell warns that we will become overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But in Huxley's vision, no big, bro big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. And then he goes on a little bit. What Orwell feared was were those who would be, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell, Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared that we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture. And uh, Neil Postman goes on. In 1984, the book, people are controlled by inflicting pain. But in Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. Which, which one do you think got it more right? Now, I'm not saying that Orwell didn't get anything right, especially in, if you look at countries like China today that are this kind of a society or more and more. But I think we could say that in our culture, at least, especially when we look at this, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. So when we've got average Americans watching 90 hours of media consumption per week, I think we can say we're almost there if not completely there. All right, so what do we do about it? All right, so we're not going to escape the entertainment culture. We're here to stay, all right? We're not going to move to Mozambique or, or someplace. Um, they probably have their own problems. I don't know. I haven't really studied Mozambique. Um, so what do we do? Well, I'm going to suggest three things. First, be intentional and proactive rather than haphazard and passive. Be intentional and proactive rather than haphazard and proactive. I've got my slides out of order. Wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. And then later on, the prudent see danger and take refuge. Now, if I haven't convinced you that in our culture there is a danger of entertainment overload, then, okay, just tune out here, but uh, I failed. But if I have it all, then we should have this attitude, okay, I wanna, I wanna see that and I wanna take whatever steps I need to. 
So be intentional and proactive rather than haphazard and passive. And in particular, think before you watch. Think before you watch or listen. You know that word amusement, you know, another way, word for entertainment in some context, we have amusement parks. You know, there's actually a very good Greek word that that's based out of. Amuse uh, means to think, it means to think deeply about something. You know, I'm going to muse, muse that, or uh, think of the muses, the ones who were, you know, inspired the great works of genius. That's a Greek word, muse. And then when you put that A in front of it, that's a negation, right? It's like an atheist is someone who's not a theist. An atheist is someone who does not believe in God. Amusement means that we don't think. And that's, you know, then tell us very plainly what this is about. We don't want you to think here. We just want you to consume. So think before we watch. Let's take these words um, to heart here. And then secondly, about this, being intentional, proactive, create guidelines or filters for entertainment. Create guidelines or filters for entertainment. And I'm, I'm coming back to the passage that Darren read here in Philippians 4.8. And you've heard this before. Now, what's interesting, though, is if you study this compared to other passages that Paul writes about, they have what, what scholars call virtueless and viceless in the, in the epistles especially. Here's a whole bunch of things that are wrong, and here's a whole bunch of things you should be doing. And, and Paul has, has several of these scattered throughout. And, and most of them are, are reflecting Jewish values and then channeled through, through Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, temperance, self-control. And these are all in line with the biblical value system. All right. Now, what's interesting here in Philippians 4, 8, he doesn't do that. This is a virtue list, but he's taking the terminology not from the Jew Jewish Christian uh, vocabulary, as it were. These are words that the Greek thinkers would use the secular Greek thinkers would use to describe some of their values uh, in entertainment, but also in other things. And so what he's saying is this. All right. If it really is what these Greek values claim to be, remember he's writing in Greek-inspired culture, if it really is true, if it really conforms to reality, if it's noble, if it lifts you up, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, if it really is those things, then think about that. Put your mind upon those things. So he's not writing off all of Greek culture saying, okay, it's all bad. You know, all you should do is read your Bible. That's, that's the only thing I'm going to let you do. No, he's saying, look, if it really measures up to what those Greek uh, values are, then put your mind upon that. Now, I'm going to suggest a couple of things here on how we can create guidelines for entertainment. And I'll go through these quick because there are six of them. First, it should be based on God's word, not human standards. Why? Well, if you've been around a while, you may have noticed human standards for, for entertainment and what they show on that have changed a little bit, right? Uh, things that the censors would not allow when I was a teenager. Um, yeah, you can get those in the ads now. So based on God's word, not human standards. Secondly, based on the content and the message, not the source. So just because it's from Disney or a Christian publisher doesn't mean it's good entertainment. Doesn't mean it's even helpful entertainment, but rather the content and the message. Uh, third, tailored to each individual. So you and I are going to be very different, right? 
and, and your list of guidelines for what you're going to put into your head, what you're going to put into your mind, are necessarily then going to be different than mine. So I can't get up here and say, okay, you should watch this, this, and this. That would be easy to do. I remember my pastor doing that when I was a teenager. Um, but uh, we're all different, and things are going to affect us differently. So we're going to have to have our own. I'm not going to come up here and tell you what to do or not do, except I want to encourage you to think through, be proactive in your own guidelines. And then fourth, communicate it. And what I mean by this is share them with your spouse. Share them with your kids or, or, or someone else accountability partner, because you're less likely to renege on that if it's more definitive and communicated. Fifth, <clears throat> concerned with the time as well as the content. Concerned with the time. So in other words, even if you watch content that's not bad, but you're watching it you know, eight hours a day, uh, that's a problem, right? And so we, we want to have guidelines, our own guidelines. And then last, viewed as a guide beside us, not as a rule over us. So I don't want us to think of these as rules, like, okay, I can't do this, I can't do this, this is a rule I have. No, I, I, you know, I like to hike sometimes, and when I do, I usually have a trail guide. Sometimes it's just a pamphlet, sometimes it's a more detailed map, because I want to know where the trail is. I want to know if I'm getting off course, especially. I don't want to get lost. Now, you know what that trail guide is? It's telling me where I should walk. It's not telling me where I have to walk. I can go off trail if I want. Sometimes I, I will if there's a particular reason for it. But that's what these guidelines are. They're, they're not a rule that we have to follow as much as, okay, this is a guideline I've chosen with God according to who I am right now at this stage of my life. This is where I should be going. It's a guide, not a rule. All right, so that's the first part. Be intentional and proactive. Here's the second part. I'll go a little bit quicker here. Realize you'll have to give up some, some things. Some good things, in fact. Some of the things you will have to give up will be good. Um, we live in a, in a culture where we're often told or implied that we can have it all, right? You can have it all. That is a lie. That is a big, fat lie. You cannot have it all. You cannot eat all the junk food you want and have the body that you desire, all right? You get one or the other, and some of us show which one we've chosen in, in that, right? Um, you cannot... Spend all your time in entertainment and then have all the time that you should for, for community, for serving others, for spiritual growth. You can't have all, all things. So some of the things you have to give up will actually be good things. Look at uh, what Jesus says here, Matthew chapter 5. So this is in the context of the great um, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to us, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole, right, to make a point. He's not actually saying we should gouge out our right eye. Why? Well, you can still lust, all right, without your right eye or without your right hand. His point is this, and here's where I'm going. Jesus is telling us, be as definitive as you can in getting rid of those things that will cause you to stumble, even if they have value in other ways. 
I mean, a right eye or right hand is a pretty good thing to have, right? But he's saying be, be so focused on, on becoming who you should be that you're willing to give up some good things because of something better, because of something that you want to be. So that's the idea, that we'll have to give up some things. You know, when you take seriously the idea, okay, I'm going to limit my media intake. I'm not going to watch this or this. I'm not going to go to this side or this side. I'm not going to watch screens after 8.30 or whatever. You're going to miss some good things. If you say, I'm not going to watch Friends, I'm not going to watch this show anymore, uh, all these reruns because of the sexual innuendo, and again, those are your guidelines, you'll miss some funny things, okay? But if we're following Jesus in this, we understand that if it's causing me spiritual issues, either actively or passively, then I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice that. Um, let me give you one example here. So this is my phone. It's a nice phone. Um, you know what? This phone does not get internet on it. And it's not because it's broken. It's because I have installed an app called Freedom App. And with the Freedom App, you can designate when, which apps or which um, which, yeah, which apps you want to, to block, and you can tell which time period. And I, for myself, I just I go back to this phone again and again because I'm intellectually lazy and intellectually curious. So the easiest thing for me to do when I, I've just got a few minutes is not to pray, is to whip out the cell phone and just look online. You know, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Oh, got some news here, you know, Facebook feed, whatever. And so for myself, I've installed this that completely blocks any web browser. Now, I'll still get likes of the weather, still gets email. If I wanted to you know, put a Facebook app in there, I don't. You still get that. But those aren't my problems. My problem is going to the internet again and again. And you know what? There are things that when you block the internet on your phone, uh, there are things that you, know, you miss. You miss when you're in the store and getting a review or a price check on something right there, having to wait till you get home to do that or something. But what I find is that I have more engagement with my family, I have more time for God, and I have more time in prayer when I have blocked that than when I haven't, because it's worth it. And that's the last part here. You will gain more than you give up. You will gain more than you give up. Jesus talked about this. He said, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus recognized that to really follow him in a culture that is not like him, we will have to give up things. And so he uses the most extreme examples, again, to get his point across. I doubt we're going to have to give up these things, but the, in particular, we may. But the point is, anything we give up for his sake, he will more than reward us. And that's what I found. When I gave up that, I had a lot more productivity in other ways that were very important. All right, this last part, I'm not going to talk about this too much. Very last thing here. How do we handle entertainment? First, be intentional and proactive. Second, realize you'll have to go up some things, but it's worth it. And then third, search for ways to be creative or serve. So if I'm going to be proactive, 
I may even look through this week and say, okay, I've got free time in this evening and this evening and this evening. I've got some booking up this evening. How am I going to fill that time? I don't want to just come to 7 o'clock on a Monday night with nothing to do and, and haven't thought about through that because the easiest thing to do will probably what I default to be to turn on some screen, right? So if I'm proactive, I'm thinking through, okay, what could I be doing? And, and here's the thing. If I don't have anything worthwhile to put my time into, I'm probably going to go back to that default. But if I'm thinking, okay, there's a way I could serve somebody, or here's a Bible study I could go to, or here's a time I could read a good substantive book, or here's a time I could, I could write something, I could play some music, I could write a poem, I could write an article, I could, I could have time to, to take a walk. In other words, the, the opportunity cost of, of putting in 80 hours of entertainment a week is enormous. So we have to think about what I can do instead of those things. Because if I don't have that, I'm probably going to go back to just what's easiest. So search for ways to be creative or serve. And I, I want to end with one little visual here. I asked my wife, hey, can you bring me the calendar? She's like, what in the world do you want a calendar for? And in fact, uh, my wife and I were talking, I think we've had this, what, 20 years now? We're close. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so last night I was using it because I was cooking up all that taco meat, right? And uh, I remember my mom, Amy's mom was like this too, maybe some years, when she would cook tacos, and again, this was when tacos were relatively new on the American uh, dinner menu weekly, um, she wouldn't drain the beef, right? And so she'd put all that seasoning in right in the, the beef with all the, all the grease. And so, you know, you'd bite in a taco and you'd have orange grease river coming down your elbow. I love you, Mom. Uh, sorry. But, uh, but that's a good memory. And what we both share. You know what? I, I didn't want that to happen, of course. So, like always, we drain that through the calendar. What is this? This is simply a filter. Because there's something I want to keep out of that pan and there's something I don't want to keep. What I'm suggesting is that we have the same approach to all the media around us. That we filter it out intentionally. Not because it's not good, there aren't good things in it, but because there's things that aren't good within it as well. And here's the other part. The other reason I wanted her to bring this calendar this isn't just a visual of the filter we should have on a weekly basis. This is also, it can be a symbol of the filter of our own deeds in our own life at the end of the age that Jesus talked about. Paul said, there's some things I've done that are going to be wood, hay, and straw that are just going to burn up. And other things are gold and silver and precious, uh, precious jewels that will endure. And we're all going to stand at that time with God in some way, I don't know how this looks, understand our life, and we'll understand that there are a lot of things that like sand have gone through and don't mean anything. They just pass like the days and the seconds. But there are other things, things that we have done for God, ways that we have served, ways that we have grown spiritually, and they're like stones and diamonds that stay and remain forever.